0: Welcome to the Urban Wine Club podcast. Pour a glass, sit back, and enjoy the show.
1: Welcome, Ted. Welcome, Johnny. Thank you for coming on to the show. Um, Thank you for taking the time during your busy schedules to be with us. And uh, tell us, how are you doing?
0: hey 40 hey how you guys doing uh thanks for having us hey johnny how you doing
1: so uh hi what's
0: going on um, right, buddy. How, how how are we doing well yeah yeah uh, well, we're doing everyone
1: okay you guys yeah, and we're, safe. We're
0: all, yeah we're all good at least on my on my side we're we're good uh, you know just uh coping with this new reality that we're all in uh johnny
2: yeah i mean i've doing? been uh I'm I'm based right here in in uh, the suburbs of New York in Westchester. It's been good. This week actually we've had some really nice weather, so I've been enjoying the sun, but you know, trying to stay busy and doing whatever we can to stay productive during the time when we're all locked at home. And you know, I come from a I have a Greek family and I'm quarantining with my big fat Greek family right now, so that there's always cool. a lot of action, always a lot of food. Actually right now at my mom's uh She's making Spanakopita, so my room smells really good, too. So, you know what? I'm doing I'm doing okay.
0: <laughs> that sounds awesome, man. Wait a minute. Can I come to Westchester? <laughs> yeah. It's,
2: this is a, this is a quarantine he, paradise. He, wow. Yeah, because
0: I'm here in Chicago in Lincoln Park, and, and actually, we've had the most rain ever in four-day period. I think we had nine wow. inches in four days. So, yeah, we're oh getting God. soaked here, so it sounds like a lot better in Westchester. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no one's cooking here. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're all trying to deal with this new reality and Johnny and the rest of the team, we're just trying to knuckle down and see, you know, how to keep generating business, how to keep on keeping people interested, um, in Greek wines and also, in Greek wines and spirits, um, and also try to attract new people, trying to find new opportunities as well. Um, because, um, as we were speaking earlier or you know, this new medium that we're all using and we're leading into social media even more. Um, I think uh, I think this for Greek wines, it it might be a, a good opportunity, strangely enough to say, uh, because because we have a new content being created. Uh, we have new engagement um, and hopefully also, even though our presence as a category Uh, Greek wines as a category were pretty weak in the retail space uh, nationally. Um, I think there's an opportunity by more and more people going into the retail world to shop, they might discover Greek wines now, um, even though we have a smaller presence. And or like a lot of people being curious about Greek wines, maybe asking their retailers more and more about it. So
1: sorry. So I said definitely. I, th- I, you hit you hit re- really good points as, fact, as far as how things are changing for us uh, as consumers, um, and for other, of us that are in the industry as well, is just seeing this uh, unknown of what's happening and what might happen moving forward. But uh, it's pushing us uh, all of us together collectively to kind of think outside the box and how to really connect uh, and send our message out. Because I'm sure doing business prior to whatever it was, March 15th or prior, depending on what state you were in, uh, we never ever thought that we'd come across a situation where our world just stopped right in front of us.
0: Yeah, uh, right. um, yeah but- and listen, Johnny could speak to this because his family is a three-generation restaurant family in New York. You know, with the restaurants closing, and I'd love to hear Johnny's take on this from the the restaurant viewpoint, uh, from his family's viewpoint, uh, you know, Greek wines relied on on restaurant sales. And it it affected us maybe more than any other European wine country um, uh, in terms of our distribution and our access to the consumer. Um, So, yeah, I mean, thinking outside the box, thinking and looking at new opportunities um is is something that i've been we've been i've been trying to stress for a long time that, that we need to be paying attention to retail more and more and more because right. statistically you know 75 percent of all wine sold are in retail in terms of cases and about 67 percent of all dollars spent on wine are in retail oh uh, uh, that's amazing so yeah but but yeah the restaurants i love yeah johnny why don't you talk to us a little bit about what goes on in your in, in your family world of you know of, of <laughs> yeah. restaurants so um
2: my growing up you know especially as greek americans a lot of greek people are in the food space right it's like the classic american dream fresh off the boat story mm-hmm. of your grandfather starting a diner and then that's how my grandfather started and he I remember him? I remember being really young? He's like, you know, the restaurant business is going to be there forever because people always need to eat.
1: We hear <laughs> and that. Lo and over behold, and over.
2: here, here we are. You know, we're here yeah. now, and and you know, everything's closed. So that's that's definitely a scary thing. You know, people always talk about how the restaurants are almost recession proof, or food is like recession proof, right? Because people always need to eat some something. Um, but now this is a situation that no one would ever have predicted, where restaurants are forced to close, and you know. In one end, it's it's really it's it's really kind of scary, and because there's an uncertainty out there, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, there's a lot of conversations that need to be had for the future of the restaurant business in New York. Is that what is is people know what's going to happen? But at the same time, you know we're taking this, my family never really took a time to take a break. So we're all, we're all decompressing a little bit together. So it's
1: a well deserved break.
2: Yeah. You know, it is. We're taking a, we're taking a break. We're we're relaxing a little bit here together we're as a family cooking food together. Um, so that's been cool. You know, we've, we always eat together as a family, but we never cooked this much since, since, you know, since we all left the house and went to college and things like that. But, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty out there, but you know, we're trying to be optimistic and count the blessings that we have. And luckily we're all healthy and we're able to spend this That's time great. together and we'll see how the next, how the, everything unfolds in the future.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as Greek Americans, you know, Johnny hit on an important point, you know, we are very vested in the food industry, whether in distribution, importation restaurants, uh, I, I I bet you there's a lot of Greeks in our community, Greek-Americans that are more affected than disproportionately and maybe since some other groups because mm-hmm. of our engagement in the food world. Most uh, likely, or the food right. and wine world. Um, and in Greece too, but, right? Know, this,
2: it's an agricultural-based oh, country where it's all right. about well, food and, exporting to other countries. I wonder how that's oh, yeah. been happening.
0: Well, that's been devastating. And that, that started even prior to the corona because of the uh, EU tariffs that occurred on certain food that's products. right? We forgot and, about those. Yeah, we forgot all about that. I mean, we escaped it in the wine space, but right. uh, there's, there's, a, there's a story, you know, um, a, a true story of uh, a, a whole warehouse of peaches that were canned and prepared to be purchased by Del Monte, uh, which is one of the largest purchasers of Greek peaches. Um, uh-huh. And because they had a, the tariff increase of uh, close to 18 or 19 percent, they became unsellable in the united states and they've been frozen in a warehouse oh wow uh, not being able to ship anywhere else it's a it's a damage of close to 30 million from what i understand and because they've been canned specifically with american labels and, and can't be getting sold anywhere else so um yeah i mean and not on top of this what has happened you know greece has been uh, you know has been gotten some some right hooks lately.
1: Uh, <laughs> Have had enough?
0: Right, exactly, and, and especially in the agricultural space, and now tourism. You know, thirty percent of our GDP in Greece uh, is is directly and indirectly um, uh, derived from tourism, and uh, you know our wineries in Greece are, are you know some rely even a greater percentage, especially the Santorini producers. You know, you know, and the and the producers in Crete on these island destinations that, that you know, they relied on tourism for even a bigger percentage of their uh, business model. So, yeah, this, this is going to be... Uh, it's
1: going to be interesting to see what happens.
0: Yeah, and we'll be feeling these effects for years to come.
1: Um,
0: in I'm the afraid agric- you're right. In the agricultural space, for sure, in the production space, in the wine industry. And this is not a myopic uh greek issue it's a it's a world it's a world wine production issue um it's you know the california my god i mean they've had bumper crops three years in a row they have so much wine in their tanks already and then they're, they're and then they have harvest coming up in six months the same thing we have in greece in four months where do you put all this new fresh wine if you haven't bottled it and sold it you know because people keep it in tank yeah people keep it in tank the producers keep it in tank remember especially the smaller producers they don't have space to store bottles, a lot of them. And also you have to make investment in the glass to buy the bottles, which is an investment. If you can't turn that that investment into cash, you're, you have a problem. So you can't just keep on storing wine, storing wine, storing wine. You know, It's, it's, it's so a major issue. So eventually, like in Greece right now, they have a program. I don't know if it passed yet or not. I think the EU just did pass it because, remember, it, all the rules are not. You, when it comes to wine, at least in agriculture, you know, a specific country can make it make a decision, but it has to be uh, okayed by by Brussels, by Belgium. And I think they just recently okayed that wineries can sell their wine in tank to be converted into alcohol.
1: Oh,
0: uh, and okay. yeah, but this is a, But here's here's a, here's an anecdotal story about why that's not a cure-all, because right. a producer a smaller producer that his cost, um, you know, is, you know, maybe $1. forty. his cost to get that juice in the tank, the cost of production, cost of grapes, he's going to be able only to be able to sell that, um, you know, I'm talking about a liter. Uh, he's only going to sell that liter for 30 to 40 cents to make it into alcohol. So he's going to lose 75% on his cost. So uh, it's, it's catastrophic. It'll be catastrophic for a lot of
1: people. And In other sense, it's that is basically that this this over uh, abundance of wine is basically because there's just not enough movement.
0: There's yeah, there's nowhere to sell it. Yeah, there's nowhere to sell it. I mean, I think it, it about tour- like the
2: hotels and and the restaurants in Greece during the tourism. That's where they sell a good amount of their wines. Right. Uh, in, in terms of like the whole year, so if that's not gonna if they're not gonna have a full tourist su- tourism booming summer. Uh, Mykonos beach parties, you know, those are all going to be shut down. I feel like, you know, that stuff, that's where you're going to see a lot of the effect trickle down. Yeah, and also the restaurants.
0: Restaurants consume, remember, we consume 80% of our own wine, you know. So um, the restaurants being closed, you know, it affects a lot of wineries that weren't supermarket wines or didn't have a place in some of the bigger grocery stores, uh, chains in Greece. Right. Small wine shops. For which, for restaurants, a lot of our my producers are restaurant oriented in Greece as well. Not all of them, uh, and a couple of them have a couple SKUs, a couple labels, and some of the Basilopoulos, some of the larger, you know, uh, grocery store chains of, of of Greece, mainly Athens and Thessaloniki, of course. Uh, but most of them are restaurant re- uh, reliant, so that's gone as well and export reliant our producers export all over the world that's dried up completely uh, i was talking to one of my more more uh imp- important producers i would say just because of size you know he hasn't received an order for one of his export markets until he received one from us this week and that's been for the last three months
1: it definitely, it's definitely taken a toll on on everybody. Uh, you know that trickle down effect, and unfortunately, there's not much we can all do, right? I mean, now we just kind of have to be a little more patient and creative on what are the next steps moving forward. Because now that our economies are slowly starting to open up again, uh, based on the restrictions that every state is putting in, you know, putting into place, I know the process will be kind of slow. Uh, the recovery seems it's going to be kind of slow. But I guess in the meantime, it allows us to kind of um, uh, get back to the drawing boards and, as we discussed before, uh, thinking outside the box on uh, where do we go from here.
0: Okay. Yeah, listen, um, doing what you're doing right now. This is what we're doing today. Well, you know, we, with Johnny and the rest of our team, we've engaged heavily with Zoom uh, trainings for our distributors. Uh, we're take, trying to take advantage of this time. We're trying to get mind share. We've, we're directly engaging with, you know, retailers. We're trying to do virtual wine dinners. We're trying to do virtual retail tastings. Uh, We've been, you know, we're doing our own kind of uh, educational stuff with our winemakers, uh, you know, either through Instagram or through Zoom meetings. We're bringing our winemakers, uh, um, you know, and getting people to see them visually, which is connecting them with a lot more people. So, you know, there is different strategies and and in Greece, you know, because, um, because two of my guys, you know, Stelios Butaris and George Skouris. Uh, George is the president of the Greek Winemakers Federation, Stelios, vice president, and Stelios specifically is in charge of you know, of promotions in his position. And uh, you know, we're, we're right now uh, talking about uh, you know, what do we if we give access to some of the European funds that are getting freed up now again because everybody realizes that. You need to do more marketing now than you ever have before just to, you know, to stay competitive and relative Um, that the programs that we want to design are going to be social media based are going to be trying to get the consumer engaged, uh, trying to get him to get into the, their wine shops, liquor stores, grocery stores, and going, hey, I've been hearing about Greek wine, or I've tasted it, or my friend told me about it, or I heard a podcast, and I wanna have Greek wine, and hopefully that will create the pull, because we've always needed pull. You know, We've always had the push, 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 but we always, so I think right now, even the national campaigns that are gonna be designed, hopefully, and hopefully engaged with, and actually executed, that it'll be more, about what we 're doing today and about what you guys are doing, about outreach and right. social media and um, and I think this is going to be again' I always started this whole conversation. I think in every crisis you know politicians will tell you there's opportunity even Aristotle <laughs> said that you know um, and so uh, you know we need to kind of see what's test the waters and check out other other ways of communicating with people and sending, getting our message out there.
1: Um so yeah, so, so Ted, tell us a little bit about um, tell us a little bit about Ted diamantes and how diamond Importers came about and a little bit more about you know your portfolio I mean, I think it's very interesting to me being in the industry for so long I think and I feel confident in in saying so that uh, you have one of the best portfolios that I've ever come across work with um, we've you know Thank we've you. worked directly and indirectly in, in in different uh, facets of the industry, but uh, I'd love for our listening audience to know a little bit more about yourself and Diamond Imports.
0: Holy shit, you got a couple hours? No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, what, let's get the abridged version, Ted.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll, yes, I'll yes, yes definitely. Version. I mean,
0: <laughs> uh, we I'll, want I'll them to get every, to know you. I'll, I'll say every fifth word. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, listen, I, I was just um, – This company I started was back in 1991, 92. And how did it come about? It came about simply because after college and I I went, you know, graduated in economics and poli sci and thought I was going to do other things in my life. And after two years of a stint in corporate America, I was kind of like, ah, God, that entrepreneurial Greek thing took over on me. And I was like, I got to figure something else out here. Um, and, uh, you know, being first generation Greek, of course, and my family being very, very engaged in the Greek community here in Chicago and also very strongly in Greece. Cause literally my family was, uh, uh, it were one of the rare occasions that we didn't bring the whole village with us when we came here. I mean, most mm-hmm. of my relatives, every one of them basically stayed in Greece and Athens. And so, um, I was, we had a lot of strong connections, um, in Greece still. So I went out there and what happened, I simply... Out of pure fate, um, yeah. I met a, a young winemaker making wine in his father's garage who had these aspirations and his dreams. And he was a magnetic figure. And, and he was just slightly older than me a few years. Not much older, but much, much wiser. Um, and he had a vision and he, and he captured my imagination. That was George Scudas, who at that time was one of the pioneering, groundbreaking young winemakers they wanted to work with the indigenous varieties with, and, you know, bring back the glories of Greece. And, and, uh, 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 and he did it without a roadmap and without being in the wine industry. He just started, he was a, he started from zero as well. And uh, that guy just kind of became my mentor in the wine world. And I was just like, oh, my God, you know, this is kind of a cool kind of space to be in. You know, um, and at that time, uh, I think it was the late 50s. Uh Greek, No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was the early '90s. I mean, the Greek Greek wines were myopically only in Greek restaurants. That was it. it throughout the United States, and they were in Greek towns. And there was only you know, based you know, there was only the big negotiant producers that you could find in, in, in the United States because it, basically, that's all that was available in Greece. To tell you the truth, there was no boutique artisanal wine scene going on. Right. And and my, I, I was like, oh my god, you know uh so many plethora greek restaurants and and typically from what i knew at the time because you know during college of course i was in hospitality i bartended worked at bars i've worked at restaurants did all that world so i saw that there wasn't like a lot the greek wines that were available were kind of like eh, people would only drink them when they went to a greek restaurant just to have an ethnic experience but they weren't very good so i was like wow you know this is this guy and he's making these killer wines and he's got this vision and from what i've tasted i didn't know crap i had to teach myself anything you know i you know after i got into it of course i went to wine school i worked harvest for four years i i and i did other things which you know uh, later in life as well around wine so i can learn more and more about the production and how it's actually made um i was like wow you know this will be an opportunity I, all these greek restaurants well little did i know that the greek tour of that time uh, didn't give a shit about how good a wine was only gave a shit about how much it cost and you know and, and it was a secondary product to them they were like people are here to eat and they just drink by chance you know they drink right. it's not you know they're not it's just a beverage to wash down our food and it was a commodity to them and that was it so um, I automatically recognized my customer for fine Greek wine or a different expression, a new expression of Greece. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I was only working with one producer who had, at the time when I started 92, which was a container of wine that I ordered. And George Skouris, realizing he was a young entrepreneurial guy and he knew that I was trying to undertake he undertake a big task, he fronted me a container. He goes, wow. if you sell it, you pay me. If you don't, we've both taken a risk
1: and, and we both lose and that's, that's that's amazing. and that's how it started. And that's how it started. from one, 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 uh, one vision, uh, two visions with uh, the fact of that uh, he believed in you, vice versa, and that's how it all began.
0: That's how it all began, yep. And, you know, we worked with George and I realized, you know, selling to Greeks was going to be the hardest thing. So <laughs> I try to also, I go, listen, the main wine market where all wine is sold is this broad market that no one's talking to. So I'm going to dare go where no one else has gone because going into a Greek restaurant and competing with other every little Greek importer or Butari or, you know, or Sondali at the time of
1: that time. Yeah,
0: they, they didn't care. They, it was if it wasn't priced cheaper, you know, then they didn't give a shit. So, uh, and I, I, so I, ele- I try to elevate the conversation. I was like the only guy walking around the United States back in the early 90s talking about terroir, talking about <laughs> varieties. Nobody knew it. You talk to anybody in the Greek wine world, they didn't even know. It's red, white, rosé. These are the importers. They didn't even know what they were selling. They didn't even know the varieties in their wines. Um, And they were selling illegal wines like Roditis, you know, which was a simple rosé wine that didn't even have the variety of Roditis in it. Right. So... This is, you know, this was the landscape, you know, and we we started with one producer. At that time, I also had Chateau Caras. I was an importer, Chateau Caras, when the family still owned it before it went into bankruptcy and got sold off. Is that the same as Porto Caras? Porto Caras. It used to be called Chateau Caras. Oh, got it.
1: Okay.
0: Yep. And I was, uh, and the last, Rizos Caras, which was the son of Yanis Caras, who was the founder of the winery, he was still owned it and ran it. I, I imported the wines uh, just for Chicago at that time. Um, and, and, you know, then, then about a few years later, they went into bankruptcy and, and they got broken up. And then they produced wine there again for, I think, about seven, eight, maybe even a decade after that. Um, so we started off as a very small company. And the one thing about George Skouris, he understood, he told me this a long time ago as we're battling it out and trying to establish Greek wine in the early 90s and mid 90s. In the united states he's like ted it Greece will never be important to anybody if there's only one producer one great producer and, and even if there's that's five it's enough. we need to have a hundred two hundred great producers to for anybody to pay attention to us and that's why he became a mentor to a lot of other wineries he became a model of what he was trying to do he helped, helped his contemporaries you know uh you know he, he helped sigalis he he helped other uh, producers that were young producers at the time because he was trained classically trained jerks first you know one of the very rare winemakers in greece i think there's only two or three maybe three now that went to dijon burgundy for wine for the you knowledge and
1: viticulture oh, fascinating so you
0: know he, and he had a world viewpoint because you know he worked. he worked in europe he came back to greece so, you know, he, he worked with Caligan, and a couple other people. He created Gentilini with the family. He was the first winemaker in Gentilini. Um, you know, so he was trying to inspire because he knew that all the boats have to rise in this tide. There has to be a tide. And people have to, we have to have a critical mass. And so slowly, what that heard for, for me is he mm-hmm. would be like, go talk to that guy. Go talk to that guy. Go talk to that guy. And... So he was pointing me in the right direction with the right producers. And in the meantime, what I did, because I couldn't make a freaking living selling Greek wine.
1: Um, I can only imagine.
0: I, 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 I was bartending at the same time and managing a restaurant in Greek town in Chicago, trying to, to make it. You know, my dad was like, you went to school and got two degrees to do this. He goes, oh, you're out of your uh, fricking mind. The Greek guilt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, "What are you doing?" And you go to work with Greeks. He goes, "You are out of your mind." <laughs> oh man! And uh, so, um,
1: I can relate so, to that. I'll tell you that much. Yeah,
0: absolutely. <laughs> so they were looking. At me, he was looking at me like I'm nuts. And but I went to work for a distributor. There was a at the time there was a really boutique, small distributor in Chicago called Heritage Wine Cellars that had Kistlers and Paul Myers and all these. These were cutting-edge wineries at the time, pioneering wineries of, uh, of, of California and Sonoma Couture and, and Vineyard uh-huh. Brands, Imports and Burgundies, and all these great little books at the time, which are now seminal you know, producers and historic producers, Stags Eve wine cellars, shit like that. And they just kept on running into me at wine shows and, and, and talking about Greek wines and, and going in and seeing you know fine dining establishments about Greek wine that never heard about Greek wines. And they're like constantly running into me. And they're like, and they had tasted the wine, wines, Scudas' mm-hmm. wines. And at the time, and they're like, and they approached me in 1995. And they're like, hey, man, and then the owner, you know, which was a really historic figure in the wine world, not only in Chicago, but in, in the United States, uh, Gerald Hirsch, who's since passed. His son is, is running the business now. Okay. Uh, and he approached me and he's like, um, and he goes, um, listen, man, I want to talk to you. He goes. We like to say that we have some of the best producers from all over the world. We don't have anything from Greece. He's like, we've tasted your wines. We think they're the best Greek wines that we've tasted that are available in the market. And, and we'd love to represent those wines. But more That's importantly, awesome. he goes to me, he goes, he goes, I know you're not making a living doing this. I'm like, yeah.
2: <laughs> he goes, why
0: don't, I, why don't I give you a job and um, and, um, and, I, and I teach you the business. And I'm like, Wow. He goes. Listen, it's obvious you have some some ability selling because we see your stuff where nobody else had ever sold the Greek wine before, and there's a lot of Greek restaurant in the city. And I know you guys like doing business amongst yourselves, but be, you know <laughs> how difficult it was? <laughs> oh, and I, yeah. so he goes. So he gave me a job, but I go to him. Listen, I go. My dream is to create a national import company and to spread the gospel of Greek wine, and 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 I want to have. I need to have time to travel and to develop distributors and to support my business and work harvest like I used to back then. Still, I'd like to, he goes, listen, he goes, I'll make you a deal. He goes, you work, you get paid, you work, you don't work, you don't get paid. Meaning straight commission. And if I let there the market, go. my commission dollars, I don't get. And I was like, fair enough. And that's how I got into it. And that's how I learned the business, started working with other great importers from all over the world started visiting other countries, 17 years. I did this, and I was I, you know, a key account on-premise manager at the end of my work, of my stint there. and But I took all this knowledge that I was getting working with German, French importers, Italian importers, California producers regarding labeling, regarding distribution, and everybody in the industry, because they thought I was some crazy kid trying to, to you know, sell Greek wines, and they had never heard of it, and they were fascinated by it. They all wanted to help me. Because they weren't threatened that's by That's amazing. So they would started slowly. They would go, okay, if you want to be a distributor, they would call up and go, hey, Joe uh, in uh, Massachusetts, whatever. Uh, I got a guy who has Greek wines. He's a really killer. You should talk to him. You know, you don't have any Greek wines. And that's how I started getting to un- – understand increasing the web and getting to know these distributors around the country because also I was one of the key salespeople in the Chicago market which is the fourth largest market in the United States. So they relied right. on me too. They you know they had a vested interest in helping me out too a little bit. But it was mostly the kindness and and them seeing me trying to do something that nobody else was doing at the time. And, and so I slowly built the book. Um, you know, and collected these young producers like Alpha State. I bought the first case out of that winery even before he sold a case in Greece. Uh, I had wow. poured him before he when he was planting his vineyards when he was making his wines in Kyriani. Um, and um, you know, so I got him right because I saw his vision. I saw what he was trying to do in this appellation that was abandoned in a medium in northern Greece. I I, I saw that he was he was. He was a visionary in his own right. Um, and I was like, I, I gotta work with this guy. You know, The same thing with Sigalis. You know, I just, you know, Santorini, nobody knew about Santorini, let alone anywhere else in the world. Nobody knew about it in Greece. Nobody drank a Certico in Greece until maybe a decade ago, if not, if not even that, okay? So I kept on recognizing what was going on in Santorini, learning about this unique place, and tasting the wines of Paris' and Skouras going, You gotta talk to this guy, you gotta you know, you gotta taste his wines and talk to him, and seeing his unique person who's he was a pioneer on Santorini. So I'm like started working with him, you know, and that's how we built the portfolio. I was trying to find the most unique people in each appellation. Of course, I of course I wasn't a greedy guy and not greedy, I'd also <laughs> realize that. I could have had you know, I could have, all these wineries at one time or another. We're all searching I'm sure. for wine. And the one thing I did want to do is fill my basket with all these producers to compete against each other. Because I knew if I
2: did a, a good, good job
0: for one guy, go, if I had to sell 10 guys' wine, I would have to sell one less case of somebody else's. Because the, the pie wasn't growing. So I, I would be cannibalizing my own producers, and I would be cannibalizing the category. So I wanted to develop each producer slowly to get them their own legs underneath them before I brought something else on and try to squeeze that pie larger and larger to expand the the consumer group and the restaurants or wherever to sell them. So there's enough room. So that's why I didn't grab Everything, you know, You know, Yanni's a friend. How many times he's asked me, ripped up you know, my wines over the years, all these other people. And they would always think, like, why don't you take my wine? Because I'm like, because I can't do the job that you're going to And then you can't please I can't everybody,
1: be. right? Right. We, well, the, the, I couldn't the approach that you just mentioned, in my opinion, has definitely worked. The fact that you uh, thought about the fact that, you know, you don't want to be greedy and you don't want to basically um, do injustice to those that are on board with you. I think what you've done is tremendous. Um, I see it for myself uh, in you know in the different markets that I've traveled to uh, the the finer restaurants. Uh, it's always refreshing when I sit down at a restaurant, non Greek restaurant, I should say, and open up the uh, the wine list and I spot one of your your wines in the list. It supposed to show me that your efforts that you've worked for so long have really made a difference.
0: Well, thank you, thank you for saying that. But you know, it's about it's but thing, it's been about people like you. It's been about people like Johnny and his family. It's been about people that... Is everybody there? Yeah. Yeah. It's about all these people that have contributed to help lift me, our producers, and the category up because literally I felt like for 15 years from 1992 to you know mid-2000s, I was the only person out there. And it was, there were was so many times that it was almost like a breaking point for me. And I was wondering, what the hell am I doing with my life? You know, if I had dedicated 15 years into any other profession, I'd be retired by now with the effort I was putting in, working two full-time jobs, selling wine for Heritage Wine Sellers, who eventually has now become the third largest wine company in Illinois, you know, and and went from seven salespeople where we started to, you know, 80, whatever they are now. Um, You know, so it's been because I've met people through the journeys that have embraced what I was trying to do, and also saw the value of what Greece had to offer, and these producers, um, because you, we've talked about this many years ago. It's not about the wine; it's about the people. It's about the people behind the wine, and that's why I've tied my star to, to to exceptional people. I've been lucky that they've allowed me to do what I've done. You know, now we've you know now we're in forty four, forty five states, Johnny. I don't remember. We have you know we have Johnny on the East Coast working for us. We have. Uh, another team member, Casey. And I use the word team because I believe in teams because we all do this together. Um, you know, our distributors are, I, I look at them as partners even though they look at us as adversaries because we're just constantly yelling at them to sell more
3: wine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, Ted, Ted mentioned earlier, uh, you know, people like Johnny and his family. Uh, Johnny, can you uh, can you kind of chime in and give us a little background of what is you and your family and how
2: you got involved with Ted? Yeah. So um, my family has been in the restaurant business for decades now. And uh, starting with my grandfather, you know, he classic American dream story where he came from Greece, worked as a dishwasher, working 80 hours a week, saved up enough money to eventually buy a small little cafe and kind of grew from there. Um, and then with my dad, my uncle, my aunt, they took the business to the next level. Um, you know, and they opened up, they, they've opened up a bunch of restaurants. We have five restaurants now, my family. Um, we,
3: we need some plugs, Johnny. Give us some plugs. Here. Yeah, so
2: we have, uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, so Just my family. Modest. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, so they have Oceana Restaurant in Manhattan. So that's definitely the crown jewel of the family's restaurant. So that's. Right in Times Square, near Times Square in the McGraw-Hill building by Rockefeller Center. It's across the street from Radio City. Um, like Michelin Star seafood restaurant. Um, and then we have, uh, for the Greek restaurants, we have Molivos, which is probably one of the... Yeah.
1: There you
0: go, say it. Was
1: one <laughs> of my favorites.
2: <laughs> Molivos, which is probably one of the first restaurants in the country all to Greek. do all, all Greek, Greek wine list, list. Yep. And... Yep. Um, I think Indeed. even today it has the largest all Greek wine list in the country, maybe even the world. Um, so that's been around for like almost 25 years. And then I opened up Usia um, in 2017, um, which is, again, Greek-focused, but a more like fresher, younger feel to it, taking more of like the flavors of Greece and making it uh, flavors of Greece, but in a more modern presentation. Um and we have a, a young Greek chef Fasiliki, from Crete there. She's doing a fantastic job. And then I was in charge of the cocktail program. Um, so really focusing on Greek spirits whenever possible, because that's what I love. I love Greek spirits. And you, you, you guys saw the BCB presentation I gave a couple weeks ago um, on Greek spirits, because that's something I'm really trying to just make but, my uh, mission to share with the world. I mean,
3: Finish telling us about uh, your restaurants, but then let's jump back to that Greek spirit. So let's let's put a pin in that.
2: Okay. Um, so yeah, so we have Usia Restaurant, uh, which is on Fifty Seventh Street in Manhattan. So Greek focused Mediterranean food. Um, then in addition, so I said Molevos, Oceana, Usia, uh, and then we have two. My family has two restaurants in. Uh, Westchester County. So the Modern Barn, uh, Greek America. Uh, sorry, not Greek at all. It's more American cuisine. Uh- <laughs> <That's okay. laughs>
0: everything's Greek. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything's
2: Greek. <laughs> and then uh, City Limits Diner in White Plains, uh, which has I mean, been around for Greek. 25 years. That's that's is a staple it, to the community. Is it
1: 24 hours?
2: No, no. My, uh, you know my grandpa. He had the yeah. Arch Diner, um, which was in Bedsonhurst, Brooklyn. He sold that. That was. 24-hour diner, he ran it for, I don't even know how long, so before I was born, Um, and that's kind of how he got a lot of success was from that diner, but he sold it because the 24-hour diner lifestyle was just was kind of grinding away. um, Really? You
1: can only imagine.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So when they opened up City Limits Diner, the idea was, okay, how do we take the diner cuisine, but then bring it? upscale a little bit so you know they they made everything in house they baked they have a bakery in house they're baking their own bread they're spinning their own ice cream they're, ha- they're making pies cakes they have like they make you can get your wedding cake there um and then you know they've become kind of a staple in the community they're just the go-to place and yeah it's been around it's been one of it's probably our most successful restaurant and it's been there for yeah we had a 25th anniversary uh last year so, so,
3: you guys are basically like beginners in the restaurant business. You don't really know yet what's going on, right? <laughs> Is that what I'm understanding? Basically,
2: yeah. We're, we're still figuring so, it out. Yeah, we're still that's, figuring it out.
3: That's amazing. That's that's great. So let's let's uh, unpin. You You spoke about Greek spirits. Can you tell us uh, what's going on with you and the Greek spirits?
2: Yeah, so while I was at Ucia, I opened up the restaurant there at my family. And that's actually when I met Ted. Uh, well, I, met, I knew Ted before because before working at my, with my family, I was actually the bar manager at Zaitinia, a Greek restaurant by Jose Andreas in DC. Um, but I re met me and Ted crossed paths again, and he invited me to go to Greece with him on one of his famous Greek wine trips. And on that trip, I just had an unbelievable time, an amazing experience. And, um, you know, it was. Drinking tsikoudia, raki, and and ouzo, and tsipouro throughout the Greek mountainsides, kind hey, of. Ronnie, can, I
3: just, can I just interject real you know quick? My uh, my mom's maiden name is Tsikoudakis, and she's from Chania, Crete. Oh
2: wow! Oh, awesome. so I, her
3: family it. I'm just going to say that right now. Oh,
2: beautiful! <laughs> it, it, was, it was on. It was in. It was near Chania in Crete where we had where we had this like epiphany moment I'm where good. I was like. The spirits in Greece are bar none. They're some of the best in the world. And Greece has this untold story of traditional distilling and spirits that uh, needs to be told. It's a story that not that many people know about. And I don't even think that many Greeks outside of Greece really know about it besides ouzo. And, you know, and, and for me, that, I was, and this was four years ago, three years ago, like I knew what Tsipuro was, but I never really fully understood the Tsipuro drinking culture and how that oh, it's like you you go into someone's house; they're pouring you a tsikoudia, uh, uh, you know, especially in Crete, with with a big meal, and it, it's kind of like a, a gesture of hospitality, and it's it's welcoming. And I fell in love with that. And and, and when I was opening Lucia, I wanted to try to bring that element uh, to the restaurant. But at the same time, I had this light bulb moment where I'm like, you know what? There's got to be a way to make spirits, at least make Greek spirits, more accessible to of stray dog gin came from um, so while working at usia i spent a couple of years trying to figure out if that's even possible um, and then actually we just launched together with ted we launched stray dog wild gin in the united states which is one of the first greek gins uh being produced and imported into the united states
1: that's awesome
0: yeah
2: yep, uh, yep. And-
0: yeah, and I've, I've always, you know, when we were there on the trip, you know, Johnny and I, because Johnny, I knew how Johnny's interest was in the spirits world. And I have a little bit of a little bit of a uh, background in the spirits world because uh, uh, about 15 years ago, uh, I became, well, I was, I was, I'm, I'm an old and very close friend of mine is Steve Olson. And Steve Olson is one of the great educators of wine and spirits, of course. And he's one of the founders of Del Gay Nescal. I don't know if you guys are familiar that, with that brand at all. Yes. So, 15 or so years ago, it might be even longer now. God, I don't want to do the math. Uh, working with Steve because I had brought him in. I brought him to Greece. He was the first. I brought him to Greece for the first time and got him. And went took him to Enorama, which is the big Greek wine show and spirit show. And we were going around tasting spirits like crazy. So they did wine. Him, him and Tara Thomas tasted 300 wines in a day and a half, and then another half a day. <laughs> Uh, and Terry Thomas is the editor um, of um, Wine of Wine Spirit. and Spirits Magazine, and we were all together on that trip, and that was years and years ago. And what then we
3: challenge: can we take that challenge so, of tasting three hundred wines?
0: I don't, I, I don't tell anybody to do that because that was a crazy. <laughs> I accept the
1: challenge. I accept the and, challenge.
0: And it, and it was at a time where Greek wines weren't all that great, <laughs> so <laughs> you know. So, um, and then we spent a half day doing spirits and Steve Olson was blown away. And and this was just when Del Gay was just getting introduced the first mezcal b- brand in the United States, elevated mezcal brand, you know, from Moscaleros and real mezcal and not Pep, you know, Jose Cusano Rojo with uh, it. So Ron Cooper, who is the founder, Steve Olson is one of the partners. I became friends with him years ago and Ron Cooper was one of the most amazing human beings on the planet a great artists uh, in space and light movement, but really a unique and pioneering person. Um, you know, at the time he was a starving artist still. you know, or, you know, still trying to build a brand. And 15 years ago, I invested a little bit of money in Delma Gay because they didn't have enough money to buy bottles. Wow. And so I got involved in the spirits world in Nescal from a very early stage. I was one of the Early investors and friends of Ron Cooper's, and we went out and with our bags and had mezcal everywhere we went, and turned people onto it. And people were like, "What the fuck is this shit?" You know. And uh, so I took that mentality and that knowledge and that experience that I had with Ron Cooper, and I could see that happening with Greek Spirits, and Steve Olson could too. And when I met Johnny and I saw his 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 lust for this and his desire and his vision for this, <laughs> I was like, "Man, you know, this is." I needed somebody like that because I had been trying to do stuff with Greek spirits for years. And, you know, it was kind of like hitting my head against the wall. And I'm like, wow, here's a young guy who's, and he wants to do this gin, which I think is brilliant. And, uh, you know what? And, and, and so I was, I, I, I absolutely encouraged and wanted, and I'm super stoked that, uh, Johnny has undertaken this. He actually, he's got the guts and he had the fucking, the buff, to, to fucking get to do this, dude. And I was like, wow, fucking awesome. So, um, yeah, you. I think, yeah, so I, I've always thought that these Greek spirits were, and it's, it's Stray Dog Gin and the Burino, this little micro distillery in, in Peloponiso that's doing these incredible things historically, but minus tiny production and even tiny distribution, even, even in Greece. Um, you know, we're, you know, I think it's a good space. It's a cool space. It just, I think it adds to that
2: tapestry of the Greek story, you know, one thing to add to that, um, Sorry to cut you off. It, it was one thing to add to that. Ted is how the, the, the story, the comparison to mezcal and Cipro, I think, is so strong because before before Delma came around, like mezcal was kind of something that you just drank in the villages where you had small distillers that would kind of produce it and and share it amongst small towns. It wasn't something that was being majorly distributed as it is today, where mezcal is there's like a thousand mezcal brands. And in Greece now today. Tsipuro is still being produced in small batches throughout the villages, and it's being consumed hyper-locally. And, you know, now you're starting to see in Greece, there's this, a, a bigger appreciation t- towards uh, Um And they're starting to be making, creating new brands and putting more focus on the varieties and I'm really curious to see how that evolves and maybe translates outside of Greece if you're going to start seeing, you know, people making a lot more cocktails with Tsipuro and mixing with it. And that's what I was trying to do at Ossia because um, I think it's such a cool spirit. It's so versatile um, just to showcase the Greek, the Greek dynamic flavor and culture in, in, in a new way. And it's, right. it takes, it's going to take right. a new generation to kind of change, change a culture.
0: Well, you know what had to change more than anything? and you know, This is what had to change in, in, in Oaxaca and in Mexico regarding Mezcal was the laws. The norma, that's what they call the laws in Mexico. And Ron Cooper was a pioneer in trying to force these laws to change to be able to export it legally and actually call it Mezcal and create a designation for it. So the same thing has to occur in Greece. Tsipuro right now is held back by poor laws, by bootleg Tsipuro, by... uh the yeah. the the inability of clarity of the rules of how to produce tsipouro and what it's supposed to be and and, and the bootleg tsipouro is a big problem in Greece.
2: Yeah, I just read an article so, recently. There was like, there people are, I forget the exact thing that was going on, but they're like, they're saying they're producing a small amount of tsipouro, yet like bars and tavernas are serving it on tap or like on draft to get around like to certain tax. Yeah. Oh yeah. wow. So,
0: so once that changes in Greece, which is in the process because the the market's going to force them to change, the mm-hmm. distillers hopefully will force them to change, and that's the big big part is getting the distillers all together to agree on certain things. Um, we need to get that done in Greece first before we have this outward projection of the product, and that's what you know. I was talking. There's um, there's there one of the great young bartenders in Greece is Dimitris Lapopoulos, which is also in the most pioneering guys him and his partners started three cents tonics and sodas which is one of the hottest tonics and soda brands in europe and we, we do import in the united states uh but he was his you know his what he was going to do what he was in the process of doing and uh, covid has held him up is in london he's going to open a spirits uh a great distillate spirits based bar only so everything was being good interesting be centered in spirits which I think is the next big thing in the spirit space is grape-based spirits. You know, a Pisco is great based you know, um, think, I, I think that there's going to be a moment, uh, hopefully in the future that grape great spirits and there, now there's great based vodkas out there and there's great base gins out there and there's all kinds of great based spirits. I think Tupero, if Greece can get their act together, I think could be a big promotion. Uh, they've been playing with the um, idea of having a, a typical promotion campaign for, for, for the category. But again, the distillers can't all agree to get that done. Um, but um, yeah, I'm, I, I really believe in that, in that, in that uh, spirit. You know, and it, it's also, it, and it's, I think it's it, just like, you know, France markets their, their cognacs and, and all their ODVs and all their, their grape-based uh, distillates, it's part of the wine world it's part it supports the farming community it supports the wineries it supports the whole ecosystem so I think it's not it, it's not an anathema or kind of an, uh, a crazy thing that we go from being a wine centric
1: company to also doing these great spirits that's great gentlemen I I, I think we covered quite a bit uh, a lot of great and interesting things that are happening in the works uh, you definitely gave us A good education all around, despite the fact that we've been in the business, uh, there's always something to learn. There's always something exciting going on, despite the fact that we're going through some hard times and some challenges. But uh, we also want to let our listening audience know.
3: I think we have these guys. They have the personalities that we need to bring them back on the show. And we need to plan some webinars. We need to plan some tastes. We need to do more stuff. Because I think these guys really have their stuff together and they really know what they're doing. And they could be, you know, a, a, a very important piece of, you know, spreading the word of of, of Greek wines and Greek spirits. And, and hopefully when this is all over, you know, now that Johnny's my good buddy, I'm going to come to New York. You know, I want to do these little winky oh, little yeah. restaurants that you're part of that I've been <laughs> here so you know. <laughs> and, You know, uh, Ted, I want to, I want to, I want one of these trips to Greece that I've been hearing about as well. You know, we, I, we I, I'd get, love
0: to have you guys.
3: We got to
1: get on this.
0: Yeah, definitely, absolutely, man. And uh, and you guys got to come to Chicago too and hang out with us here at the, the global headquarters. You know, I, I one of my Ted, favorite <laughs> restaurant towns
1: I've, or cities. I've,
3: I've been listening to TED Talk and I love the Chicago
1: accent. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ari, uh, yeah.
0: That's I can't get point. away from my roots, can I?
1: <laughs> no, no, don't do that. But all right, to your point, uh, for our listening audience, uh, we are, we do have a webinar, uh, in the works, uh, that, that we're going to just, uh, nail the date, which we'll let our listening audience know through our social media, but we are, uh, unfolding and launching our, our series called Vines Unknown. And our first webinar will be on San, the island of Santorini. So we're we'll definitely going to have both Ted and, uh, and Johnny back with us. But, uh, Any uh, information you want to let our audience know as far as to get more information, uh, web addresses, social media, um, you know, we're definitely adding our product, your portfolio to our platforms on Urban Wine Club and also on the Greek Wine Club for our folks. If they're interested, they can purchase uh, any of your wines right from our platform. But any um, information as far uh, as uh, uh, letting us know?
0: Sure. Sure. Um, you know, listen, we have a really, uh, informational website, uh, with a lot of great, uh, we have great, uh, recorded seminars with all our winemakers and, and, and conversations. And we have some good little clips on there. Uh, we have some great information about each individual producer and wine. So diamondwineimporters.com. um, our Instagram, um, it's, uh, you'll find it under my name, Ted underscore Diamantis, D I A M A N T I S. Um, So, uh, you know, follow us, join us, check us out,
2: Um, and and then we uh, just launched the Stray Dog Gin website. So that's www.straydoggin.com. We're also on Instagram at Stray Dog Gin as well. And then there's me. If you want to follow me, Johnny Lovanos, just my name. (laughs) Definitely.
3: He has an exciting life.
2: Everybody, follow Johnny,
3: please. (laughs) (laughs) Can I suggest, Johnny, that you uh, also get the Greek Ryan Reynolds, please? Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Whoa, hey. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. God,
2: Excellent.
1: So I
0: like Ryan Reynolds.
1: <laughs> Gentlemen, it's been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us Thank on our guys. show. Uh, you, you know, guys
0: doing what you're be safe
1: and healthy to you and your families, and uh, yes, we'll talk well, to you guys well. soon. Thank you.
3: Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks guys. We'll we'll talk soon. Bye bye.